Hey, we are uh, now at the end of one of the great prayers of the Bible. This great prayer and uh, great chapter that Paul wrote. We're coming to the end of it. And uh, just to quote our our resident teacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says, uh, in many ways this is the greatest of which the Apostle Paul ever wrote. And then he goes on to say, There is none so strengthening to faith, nothing which so enables us to continue in the Christian life and warfare as a realization of these things. Um, And it's like anything that you come upon in Scripture wherever you're at, it seems to be the greatest. But boy, it's hard to find another chapter that's more powerful than this chapter in all the Bible uh, for what, what God has done uh, and done with us, and uh, will continue to do. And then when you see this prayer, you see how powerful that is. And I think we have to be very much strengthened, knowing that God is so powerful, He's above any kind of power that you can even imagine. And realizing that all of this is true, and uh, we we have to look at Christ here. And when we look at Christ and all the things that He's done, you know, really, all the things like our physical problems, our psychological problems, and even spiritual problems, all of those, they will not seem so important. They don't loom over us as important when we see what is going on here. Uh, when we gaze on His glory and we gaze on His majesty and all of His great power and all of those things that we deal with just don't seem to uh, really mean that much or so important to us when we see how He is in so much in control here. His holiness and His power and His majesty, His glory. And uh, my these glorious doctrines that we've been looking at in chapter 1. I I hate to leave chapter 1. Just kind of lingered in it for a while. But, uh, you know, when you think about these doctrines and then you think about uh, not only just the theology of it, but then we exercise our minds with that <laughs> and even our senses and we start having uh, some understanding of what God has done for the body of Christ. And uh, it just... Uh, it's mind-boggling, isn't it? Just uh, very staggering to see who He is. And uh, we get uh, our minds off of our own little problems and, and look at His greatness. Let's uh, pray. Father, we thank You for, again, being able to gather together. And it is a privilege whenever Your church, Your people come together, uh, the body of Christ, and just kind of peer into Your Word and... Um, Help edify each other as we desire to know who you are and to glorify you. And we uh, look to your Holy Spirit to, once again, to enlighten us a little more about your greatness. In Jesus' name, amen. The um, place where we left off last week was about the power of Christ uh, in his resurrection. And that is about as immense of power as we can think of, his resurrection power, and then the power that seats him at the right hand, which means power. (laughs) 
anybody that sits at the right hand uh, in leadership was considered to be the, the powerful one. And that's where he's at in the heavenly places. And then in verse 21, to kind of complete that sentence out, he says, far above all, so all these superlatives continue, principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. (laughs) This is an amazing chapter, amazing last part of this prayer. Um, He starts off with, far above all principality. After he has stated the great power that Christ has, when you realize that's the power that he works in us, that's the power that raised him from the dead, that's the power that seats him at the right hand. And then he says one one other thing. It is so powerful and so high and so mighty, it's, it's above anything that you can even think of. And you think of what intelligence goes over human beings, angelic beings, right? Even over them. Well, we know he created them. Well, sure he should. But a lot of times we, we think of, um, you know, the heavenly places, uh, the, uh, the principalities, powers, the might, uh, all of that is um, well above us, and yet he is well above that. And if you were thinking along the lines of, let's say, a traditional Jewish person, they use these kind of terms that are in verse 21, principality, power, might, dominion, That was the kind of terms that they'd use for angelic beings. And that's how they designated their their rank, uh, their their order, their their might that they had. It's interesting, these words are um, kind of similar to what we had looked at earlier in, let's say, verse 19, about the greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, the working, the energy, his, his power, His might. And now we get into principality and power and might and dominion. Uh, words of authority and uh, power that uh, just continue on here. Uh, what does this mean for us? Well, it means that the power of Christ far surpasses or goes over. The, the word far above is huperano, which means to, to be over and above. <laughs> He's not only over them, he's way above that. I mean, exceedingly above, extends it on out. And so Christ surpasses the power of all the hosts in the heavens, where they be good angels, or whether they be the enemy angels, the demonic host of Satan. He is far above them. Why wouldn't he be? He created them, right? Um, And they try to defeat him, but he's so far above them. And there's a cosmic war going on between God and His own angels are on His side and that He uses as, as ministering spirits uh, for us. And, and yet, on the other side is Satan's dominion and his demons. And it is a matter of great importance in Scripture uh, when we think about that great battle, but we know that God has no trouble <laughs> in winning this battle. 
Not at all. I remember reading a, a book by Erwin Lutzer that really helped me out because at one time, way back when, uh, I used to think the the devil and, and the demons were mighty powerful. I, I knew that God would win in the end, but boy, he's going to have an awful struggle. This is really hard. <laughs> and um, how far away I was from really what the truth was, but that was uh, seemed to be kind of a popular teaching that I had just kind of jumped into, and I thought it was pretty interesting, but uh, Lutzer kind of straightened me out on that. And uh, ever since then, uh, I see that uh, God uses these angels for his own purposes. But it, it shows how exalted the glory of Christ is, these views we have. When he mentions principality, power, might, dominion, uh, my, the glory of Christ just extends much over that. Um, the word there for principality or rule uh, is the word arche. A-R-C-H-E in the, in, uh, transliterated from the Greek and you think of arch enemy arch leader arch whatever you, you, what do you think of? first, right? first place leader dominant principality uh, that's, that's an idea the first one first leader so he is, he is over that kind of order if this be um, this angelic order the, from, from the uh, enemy side. Another word is uh, power or the word authority. You probably have authority maybe in your translations. The word there is exousia, which is another power word. It's, it means designated authority. means power. So you have a leader, power, and then you come into a word that says power, far above principle of power, and might. My version says might and on that third one, but the word uh, is power or dunamis. We ran into that word before, haven't we? Dunamis is dynamite. That's mighty powerful, isn't it? Power words, <laughs> rule, authority, power. And then you have the next word is what? I have dominion. Do you have dominion? And dominion there is kuriotes. Or have you ever heard of the word kurios? Uh, Lord. Or it means to have uh, dominion or reign over. Lordship. Lordship is a good way to put that for a, a dominion. So, principality, power, might, dominion, all those, whatever this, this these could be uh, ranks and, and order. Uh, and he's, he's above all that. And every name. Just in case he didn't cover it all, he says every name. <laughs> and the word name there is talking about, or, or every name is talking about his, his, the largeness of this. Let any name be uttered, whatever it be. Think of all down through history, and, uh, or what is to come, or what is now. Any uh, uh, supernatural being, that would be like a, well, an angel, and he's over them too. Uh, there's nothing so elevated or excellent here that... Um, He's above every name. Matter of fact, everything is subject to His majesty. Let's think of uh, Philippians 2, where Christ being obedient to the point of death, and then He was pronounced as, this Jesus pronounced as Lord, Lord of all. In verse 9, Therefore God also has highly exalted Him. 
and given Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We love that, don't we? At, uh, at, at some time, that will happen that uh, everyone, whether they're believers or not, will see Him as Lord. And uh, so, when He says every name, He's including everything. This is, this is our great Savior. That's how powerful that Paul has taken Him in words. And how, how far can you go? I mean, can you, can you think of any more as far as power is concerned? He's, whatever you think of, he's going to be much more over that, right? Uh, there really isn't anything else. It says that every name that is named, not only in this age, this ion, A-I-O-N, eon, ion, it's an age. It's, it's uh, during the present time, it's the present state, and it's also on into the future. It covers any time. Not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. He is powerful over. He'll always be that way. This is simple stuff. I, I think your average four-year-old could say, yeah, God is powerful. He's great. <laughs> He's mighty, if, if they knew anything about God at all. It's after, when they get uh, after four years old, they start getting really messed up. I'm just making that up. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, you know, when you were a kid... Wouldn't, wouldn't you have said at one time that yeah, God is really, He is powerful. He's the most powerful of all all things, right? Would you have said that when you were a kid? Maybe. I think in their limited worldview of what powerful is. Whatever that is, right? It's like, He's even more powerful than my dad. <laughs> you know, and now I think of the power and might of the ocean and of the winds during the tornado and I think of how that pales in comparison to God's love. And I I don't think they think that abstractly yet. Yeah. But they, but they think so simple right. that it's some, sometimes it's it's profound. They don't know exactly what all that means. Right. Good good timing there. But uh, uh, one of those the people down south had a hard way to go over the weekend. Uh, you're talking about tornadoes, and boy, those things are powerful. What a spectacular power they have and of course some people were killed over that. Did you hear about that church in Mississippi that was destroyed? Uh, <coughs> they were just obliterated. And there was one man inside that church and he didn't know where to go so he got under the altar altar or the, where they had the offering. That table. Yeah. He just got under it. Everything else in that church was gone with that table. Table standing there, and he was under there. Wow! <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Wow! Yeah. He was everything gone. I just and they had a church service the next morning. Are you really on the same site, just outside? Wow! That is really got to me. That is something. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, that he demonstrates his power, and uh, God's people recognize um, his power when, whenever it be through things like that or through so many other different things. Uh, I think redemption, as we looked at it last week, is is um, a glorious way that God has demonstrated his power in just taking individuals who are absolutely lost and 
and he takes them and, and changes them into being able to demonstrate his um, his great uh, plan in uh, Ephesians 3:10. We read this quite frequently, it seems like. But uh, talking about Christ here in verse 10, he says, "To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the who." the principalities and powers and the heavenly places, some of those same ones we were just talking about in chapter 1 there, according to His eternal purpose, because of His purpose, which He accomplished in Christ our Lord. So redemption is a demonstration of God's power as He works through these individuals who are sinful, mankind, and He chooses some and He puts His power in them, and now He's he's demonstrating uh, his his wisdom um, through the church. <laughs> Truly amazing. Uh, glory of Christ shines through us. The glory of Christ shines through the church. Thing is, we're still here on earth as He's living in us and we have to battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil, the demons. And so in Ephesians 6, we see in verse 12, after you hear all of this good stuff that's happened, and all the power that God has, and He's defeated everything, it says, but we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against... Here are these words, principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And he says to take up the whole armor of God. Recognize that you're in the battle, you're in the war, you have a commander, you respond to him, you go to him as being the captain, but uh, and you recognize that your armor is Christ. It is him himself as we're in this battle. But there again, we battle these principalities. But God has already defeated them through Christ. So we know that we already have victory. Even when we go to fight that battle, the victory has already been done. So our conflict will try to halt us from serving our great Christ and Lord, who is so powerful. It would like to try to kind of stunt us down, to slow us down. Yeah, sometimes we're surprised. But we shouldn't be because that's that's part of the uh, plan of God in, in our battles, our struggles. And with the help of gospel kind of gets killed right here, you know it? That we will have struggles. What we need to do is recognize where the struggles are coming from. They're not from God, but they're being from His enemy. And because we're March on. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and instead, we should be praising him for that, but it's. It's a human way to start thinking, well, why did God do this? 
but then we look at his overall plan. Yeah, you know, this Ephesians 1, if you didn't have any other chapters in the Bible, and that's all you had, you could live off this, you know. I'm thankful to the Lord He has given all of His revelation to us that we can sit here and read it. But it, it sure is comforting, isn't it? We really do have that victory. Now we go into the doctrine of the church a little bit in 22 and 23. And we see that He is powerful. He is majestic. And He is head over all things. And He said He's, he's head over the church. And he put all things under his feet, just just taking off of what he just said. And he just keeps amplifying this. He put all things under his feet. He has authority over that. His, his feet are on top of it. And he gave him to be head over all things to the church. God wants us to realize, as he keeps repeating this over and over, about the greatness of his power. And that power is working in us. And now he starts to show exactly how it works in us. How it works. That's what the last two verses are going to be dealing with. We understand how the power of Christ comes to us. It's uh, going to be through the body of Christ. It's how the power of God actually operates in us. So we want to realize the energy, the power, the working, all those words that we saw... All the power that we need comes to us through Christ, the head of the body. And a head has to have a body. body has to have the head. So he gets into this, this uh, great analogy. Uh, first of all, this one phrase in verse 22, he put all things under his feet, kind of goes along with where he just came from there. Um, the word is hupotasso. Putting, putting all things under, under hupo is underneath. Uh, it's a it's a military term. It's to rank in order, to be underneath uh, a commander. Uh, he, so everything has been put underneath him. Has been hupo tasoed. Subjection is is another word. Um, your versions might read slightly different, but do you see the same thing that's happening there, right? Uh, you think of Psalm. Uh, chapter 8 and in verse 6 uh, now this is about the glory of God and all his creation and picking it up in oh this is where um, the psalm writer in verse 4 says this what is man that you are mindful of him what is man that you'd even think about him? And the son of man that you visit him, for you have made him a little lower than the angels. Angels are higher than us. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. Now, first of all, we think of the son of man, we think of Christ. And, of course, when he was in his human uh, humanness, he, uh, he was limited. So, in one sense, he was a little lower than the angels by being flesh and blood. Um, but also, this is taking in you and me, which uh, we are a little lower than the angels. But we will be also crowned with glory and honor. As Christ was glorified, we will be too. Then we get into verse 6. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. 
You have put all things under His feet. Well, what we have here is a, it's a messianic psalm, and it's, it's referring to um, the Son of Man, or definitely the Messiah. But you can see how, uh, because of what He's done, you know where we're going to fall in line with too. But the whole universe is underneath Christ, right? And so, Him as being the, the great Creator... Uh, has rule in every aspect uh, over his creation. This this Christ. Wow, how important is that? I think in Hebrews, does it say the same thing? I think the Hebrew writer in uh, chapter 2 quotes out of the Psalms here. Yeah, he, he starts in uh, verse uh, six, one testified in a certain place. Uh, he doesn't say this came out of Psalm uh, chapter eight, <laughs> but he does say some, somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Here he's showing that Christ, in chapter one. Uh, has been declared much greater than the angels. And in chapter 2, he says, in in one sense, he was lower than the angels being the Son of Man, but he's been crowned with glory and honor, and now he's set at um, well, the right hand of the Father, but all things are in subjection under his feet. What did you say? Yeah, referring to the Son of Man or Christ, the Messiah, Him being um, the one that would be ruling over the creation and all things. Does that make sense? Well, it's just kind of interesting because I was reading, after you said that, I was reading the notes for it, and it doesn't say anything about that, about it being a messianic psalm. Yeah, sometimes they might they might have it in headings, or sometimes they might have a note on it, or they, or they may not. But the reason I call that messianic because it's it's referring ultimately to you know Christ and him and his uh, he was made a little lower, but yet he's exalted over them. And that's what the Hebrew writer uses to show that he's greater than the angels. But it's it's referring to to Christ, and that's why I said that. Christ being Messiah, Mashiach, same same words there. All right. Um, the head of the church, back to Ephesians 1, he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Head. This is the highest authority. And so this is where he starts the analogy of, of this body. The head is the very the, the source, the very center of, of the life of the church. The head is. He, he's the controller of all things. The head is. He's the controller of the nervous system. Um, there's a nerve system that we have in our body, for instance. We have nerves, we have muscles, right? So if you keep this analogy going, the head has to control the systems that operate in the body. There's not a part of the body which is not controlled by nerves and the nervous system. Everything goes there. That's, it sends the signals through the nerves. Well, if we keep taking that analogy, we see the, the life in every muscle and every part is, is gotten there um, by this, the energy that works through the nerves, the, the power is there. All the nerves are traced where? To the brain, right? 
They, they come from the brain. That's the head. So the head controls all the energy that goes to the rest of the body. So every ounce of energy that we have, God is the one that's controlling that in this particular of the body, this part of the body, this part of the body, that cell, that cell. And so God is, uh, or Christ is the one that's controlling that. We have no life apart from Him, do we? Uh, we are so linked to Him and Him being the uh, the head. And every mess, muscle, you see life, you see power. It's supplied by the nerves that goes to it. Now, if you think of muscles, to develop a muscle, we have to exercise it, don't we? We can have a muscle, but it's not going to be of any use unless we take that power that's been brought there through the nerve system, and we receive that from the brain. God gives us all the power that we need. The only thing is is that sometimes we don't exercise our muscles, and the muscles are flabby, and they don't operate the way that they should be. So the power is there. The power is received from the brain through the nerves, but sometimes we just don't exercise the muscle. And remember, he says that he works in us, but we are to do what? To work it out. And sometimes we don't work that energy that he's given out. Like, for instance, let's say, well, you know, I'm just going to let the, the Lord just take everything away from me. I'm going to let him take all the sin out. Well, that's true. It, you know, he, he, he has, he, we have to rely on him to do that. But if we do a let go and let God thing and say, okay, uh, I'm just going to let him do that and I don't do anything. And what we have now is that we're not exercising the power. We're not going to make use of the spiritual muscles. And uh, the only way we're going to be able to receive that more power, and, and really we'll have all the power we have, but to use to exercise this power, um, we, we must work work it out. Like cut off any sin that you know that is keeping you from glorifying God. Whatever that may be, we want to mortify it, mortify the the um, the lust, as Colossians puts that out. Starve it, cut it off, kill it. That's exercising that power. That's using that muscle, and and just in the sense of uh, getting rid of sin, for instance. Uh, we have all the power that we need to keep from sinning. Only problem is we don't don't always use it, do we? All parts, um, all parts of the body, they're all bound together. That's an incredible thought. Church, what's the word for church? He's the head of the body there of the church. What is it? Ek, let's see. Ek means out. Klesia means called. And so therefore the church is the called out ones. And so the church is a body of called out individuals put together, linked together, and bound together. And so the church is uh, the very body uh, that Christ has. Anybody who refuses to submit uh, to uh, to Christ uh, are not a part of that body. Uh, the church is a body. I'm a small member. I almost seem like a meaningless member to this body. But I'm a member. I'm a member of this great body that that God 
has put together and is still putting together. Still putting parts in there. And it's not complete yet, is it? But did you know that I am related to the nerve center? I am related to the head. You are too. <laughs> Every one of us are related to that because he's sending the signals out from his head and it goes to every cell from the nerve center to there. His energy is in me because I'm in the body. His energy is in me. We are in him. He is in us. Almost a mystical kind of thing, isn't it? Sometimes the church is referred to as a mystical union. Uh, kind of goes beyond what we can understand. Yeah, Bob. This is not spiritual, but it, it uh, does say something about God's magnificence and His creation of us. I was reading yesterday a little thing about uh, the nerves in the hands, our touch sensation. And one square inch of your palm of your hand is something like 67 miles of nerve endings. I don't know how they figured that, but... If you think about that, you know, the sensation of touch. And then I thought about leprosy, you know, which is the not having that sensation. You know, and that's when people... Are you reading Simply Wonderfully Made? No. It was in huh? there. No, was it? Isn't that... I just think of that today, too. You guys read that? Yeah. But, you know, it's just, it's just uh, another mind-boggling thing. That, well, first of all, that we could even have the science now to understand that. But, you know, we take that so for granted. And, you know, you're just talking about you're connected to the nerve center spiritually. Right. And uh, so I just want to kind of put that in there. What better picture, you know, that... Yeah. that um, He's given us God the natural nerves and then we are the, you know, also connected spiritually. Something we can kind of grab a hold yeah. of a little bit. So, you know, maybe there is a lesson to that. We should be in touch <laughs> with him. That's what he does in that book. Really? Who wrote, who wrote that? Um, Philip Brand and Yancey. Yancey and oh, yeah. Philip Brand. Okay. Paul Brand. He was a hand surgeon. A leprosy doctor. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Great insights, aren't they? That book has been around uh, quite some time. Uh, 70s, maybe? 60s, 70s, something like that. Excellent book, though. And uh, that would certainly be uh, going along with what this is talking about tonight, just in these two verses. The word for body is soma, if you've ever heard of that one used. But uh, we're dealing here with an organic body. Uh, it's not some kind of a, an organization here, but we're talking about an organism, a living, living organism. Uh, in chapter four, verse four, he has a section here where he deals with the unity of the spirit. He says there is one body. There we go. Just one body, one spirit, linked together there. Christ, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. <laughs> one body. We are in that. We are so linked together, we don't know how much we really are because we have the same 
relation to that, that head. I mean, we, we do different things. We're our own individuals. But yet, for the rest of eternity, with the rest of the body of Christ, we're going to relate with in just an amazing way. Um, if you look in Ephesians, just in Ephesians alone, I think you can see analogies of what the church is. There you see body, and that's obvious. Uh, you'll see it in chapter 2 dealing with a, a building where uh, Christ is the cornerstone of that building, the chief cornerstone. And so there's there's the main part of that <clears throat> building that, that's taken off from. Um, also, you see that we are the bride of Christ, like in chapter 5. The church is the bride of Christ. What a great analogy there. And Paul also uh, relates to the church as kind of like being uh, like an empire. Um, you think of the Roman Empire, for instance. We're like an empire in that Rome was the great central seat of authority. And then um, the people of that empire were scattered throughout all the rest of the, the known world. And there were various officers, uh, different leaders and such, who governed that empire. Um, and so spread out all throughout this, this empire in that sense, he, uh, throughout all the world. Is, is this, again, it's the church. Or in John 15, I am the vine. You are the branches. A branch cannot live off of itself at all. You know, it's connected to that tree. That's where it's going to get the sap, the very life, the very, uh, the very life to be able to continue to, to live on. A lot of, a lot of analogies to, to what we are. But that's, that's a really good good one to get a handle on, isn't it? The body. We are all joined. We have been joined to the body. We have to go to 1 Corinthians 12 because in that section, it's talking about spiritual gifts and the body. It's quite a lengthy chapter dealing with that, how the church works. And in verse uh, 13... He says, for by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. We were placed into one body. Spirit did that. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. So you take all those individuals and they they make this one body. We are united to Christ. Somehow we're attached or joined to one another because we're in that body. And uh, it's a living connection. It's not loosely connected. But it's, it's, it's very much connected. It's a union. It's a unity. And you'll always be in this body of Christ. Now, another word that uh, sticks out here in chapter 1 is the word fullness. He's head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him. The fullness of Him. What does this mean? What does this mean? Pleroma is the word for fullness. And it means that which has been filled or is filled. Um, if you were to look at the, uh, the ancient definition of that, it was they would use an example of a ship like it is filled with its 
uh, rowers. It's filled with uh, the sailors. It's, it's filled with the soldiers that's in it. This boat is filled. The ship is filled up. In the New Testament, you have this body of believers, this church, this body, and it's filled with the very presence of God, the very power of God. It's filled with the majesty of God, the very riches of God in Christ Jesus. That's the way Thayer's puts it in uh, his word dictionary. What do you have there, Zach? For the love of Christ is so great toward the church that though he does fully satisfy all things with all things, he esteems himself but a maimed and unperfect head unless he has the church joined to him as his body. Mm. Now, that's coming out of... Is that your new study Bible there? That's the Geneva. Not the new Geneva study Bible. This is the Geneva study Bible that goes back to the 1500s. And a lot of the writers you'd be familiar with, and one of them would be Calvin. And I have to wonder, I don't know if they ever even tell who wrote those. A lot of the reformers. And what what you just read there sounds like a Calvin quote. But it could have been anybody, because they'd all be in agreement on that. I don't think there's too much to disagree about, but that is an incredible statement. Uh, Calvin said this, and see if this sounds something like this. He says, this is the highest honor of the church, that until he, Christ, is united to us, the Son of God reckons himself in some measure incomplete. Not until we are in his presence does he possess all his parts, nor does he wish to be regarded as complete. <laughs> until, would that be going along with what you're saying there? No, none Whatever it was, they were so. Um, those guys, all of them, they were linked together in in, uh, in their thoughts that uh, they probably never disagreed on anything. No. <laughs> um, but what is what are they saying there? Or they're saying that Christ, and I don't want to go and expand over this so much where. It sounds like he's in need. He doesn't need us. But biblically, there is the other sense that he, right now, the way that he has done it, and the and he has wanted to do this, this is his plan, is that he is incomplete without his body. And until he gets that body complete, whenever that time is, he will not be complete. His body won't be complete. He still has people to bring into it. Now, that's putting it in a human way. Uh, but it's like he desires it to be that way. His body, if you have a head, you you can't be without a body. And he's desired to do it that way. Uh, the body certainly has to have the head. The head has to have the body. Yeah. Yeah. So in one sense, you have to be really careful with this, but in one sense, um, he... Uh, his fullness is is given to the, to the church. Uh, he wishes to be regarded as, as incomplete until this comes about. The body is being completed. It's yeah. being perfected. You know, he's character, Christ characterized by what he did without and what he still does without until the consummation. You know, it's like when he was telling his disciples, he said, uh, you know, I won't eat or drink with you again until this is all wrapped up, you know, in my father's house. You know, it's like he 
just anticipating for us this great <coughs> gathering of his body. He rejoices in this thing, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, but he holds himself off. You know, he he knows how to how to withhold the <laughs> you know the, uh, the appointed time. Yeah, yeah, I, you know. I guess showing us a, a great deal of, of his, uh, yeah, steadfastness, you know, because uh, that's a good example for us, you know, just one of the fruits of the Spirit, the self-control and patience. Hmm. He has it too, doesn't he? <laughs> and whenever he came to earth here, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is. He is and that, isn't he? He, he gives it to us. But, yeah. yeah. He's working all these things toward that time, which is really a neat thought. You know, that he's making all these preparations. I go to prepare fresh for you, all these things. You know, man, it'll be great. Yeah, we look forward to that, and um, he looks forward to enjoying that. Um, his body, the fullness of him. Uh, you, you just kind of meditate and chew on that a little bit. And you think, the fullness of, of Christ. Here's another quote. This is from Alfred on, on this particular word, this fullness in play Roman, this, this thought here. The meaning being that the church, being the body of Christ, is dwelled in and filled with God. It is his pleroma, that's the fullness, in an especial manner. His fullness abides in it. His fullness abides in the body and is exemplified by it. Here's another one by expositors saying basically the same thing. The church is not only Christ's body, but that which is filled by Him. His body, but He fills that. Um, Christ is not only the head of the church, but it's fullness. Go to Colossians 2.9, and he uses that word, pleroma, maybe uh, in a slightly different way, but here it's talking about the Godhead. For in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now, that word fullness there, that's pleroma. That's the reason we went there. But in Christ is all the fullness of the Godhead, uh, of deity dwells in Him. Absolutely uh, filled with, with deity. Now, when we look in Ephesians 1.23, which is where we're at there, we're told that in the same way and by the same analogy, the fullness of the Son is in the church. Just like the deity is in the fullness of Christ, He is absolute deity, He, he resides fully in the church which is his body. That's uh, that's a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. His fullness is in the church. Go to 2 Peter 1.4. Uh, uh, this is uh, really kind of exceeds my, my thoughts. I, I don't know how to really explain it. 2 Peter 1.4. Uh, pick it up in verse 3. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given 
to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. What kind of promises are these? Exceedingly great, precious. We are partakers of the divine nature. If Christ is in us, and we're in Him, we're in that body, and He's sending all that energy from Him to us as being cells in that body to have all the energy and power, that is the sense of having the divine nature. These are promises that are given from God. The, di- the divine power, the, the working power, the activity that we have, uh, it's all coming from Him as we're attached to, uh, to Him. Go to 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. You are the body of Christ and members individually. You are the body of Christ. We hear body of Christ all the time, but we, this, is, this belongs to Christ. It's part of Him. Christ needs His body. Head needs a body. Head must have a body to manifest the glory of that head. So the Lord must have the church to manifest His glory as we read earlier in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 that manifest His glory to all the principalities and powers. He's using the church to manifest Him. So He, he needs the body to do that. Or that's what He's designed to do. He has chosen to display His incomparable majesty through us. The church, the body is being made complete. One day it'll uh, be finished. They were talking about how, I guess, the person decided to help the body, uh, to help the little moth. They sort of cut, they see it was struggling greatly oh. inside of there. So they decided to help cut it with a little bit of a fine scissors so it didn't have to struggle so much. And eventually, they did to kind of help cut it away, and they said, well, it'll easier for work. And what it did is it turned around and died because it needed to build the strength up in the cocoon. Plus, also, the struggle in there, I think there's some kind of nutrients that it has to, to build up within itself. So that maybe something beautiful. You're talking about chickens. <laughs> <laughs> How do chickens work? Uh, it's the same thing. It's actually the shell. Yeah. If, if you break the shell open for a chick, it'll die. Yeah. If the chick breaks it open, it'll eat the shell and live. Yeah, it needs its own, it own struggles and its own, it needs all that to become its perfect gloriousness. So are we saying if if Christ would take us, um, as soon as we become Christians, all of a sudden we wouldn't have to go through the rest of this life and this world and go right on into heaven? I mean, He could do that. But He wants to, He has chosen to make us be strengthened here by going through the processes that seem to be a struggle, which is actually a good thing. Yeah.
<laughs> we just stole it, right? All right. We're right at the end of this chapter. What does this mean to us? Well, God has given everything to Christ, right? Everything. God the Father gives everything to Him for the sake of the church, which is His body, and that's the fullness of Him that fills all in all, as the last phrase is in verse 23, who fills all in all. He gives His fullness to believers. Not that we use it all. (laughs) But, as Calvin said, this is the highest honor of the church being this in this body and that he is united to us that can you think of anything higher than that being united to um, this head who is is Christ himself we're actually united to we don't see that we certainly uh, we've experienced it but we don't know what really all that means but um, the fullness of Christ is, is in his body <laughs> just remember all that power it, well we're putting on display um, they're they're learning they they're trying to understand I think Peter said uh, trying to understand what the this gospel is all about and that God would uh, why would God even save this motley crew <laughs> You know, people who were who who are sinners, and take them and bring them into uh, not only save them, uh, justify and forgive them, but he adopts them into to be in a family. It's it's part of the very body of Christ. I mean, this is lofty, and that's why Calvin would say this is the highest honor that we would be connected or uh, be united to the very Son of God. body is being completed. The, a child has all it needs. A baby has all it needs when it's born. Uh, but that baby is going to have to grow. The baby is going to have to develop. And uh, he'll have to go up to a certain maturity. And so uh, we have a lot of things that are being developed. We don't know what all this means. And it's kind of like we're still in the womb or just little infants. Uh It'll be an amazing thing when we can understand even further. But you can see why Paul would want us to have this kind of spiritual wisdom, this revelation, this knowledge, that our eyes would be enlightened, that we'd know what's the hope of our calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what's the exceeding greatness of His power, according to the work of His mighty power. Absolutely, he wants us to be reminded. That's why Eldon last week was saying that you you read this, you read this every day, and you put it in there, and realizing that whenever I come and when you when battles came. If you have this in your mind and you you renew your mind daily and you think on these things, when those battles do come, then you don't forget this and you say, okay, this is a terrible struggle, but I I know my victory is through Christ. 
And I know how powerful He is, and He is over everything. Even the worst sins, the worst things that could ever happen, whatever the, the devil wants to do to me or whatever. Man, He has got it beat. And so, and and that sums up what the other stuff was, dealing with being chosen and being to be made holy, uh, that He has His love upon us, that we're predestined, that we are adopted. Um, this is all about His grace and His uh, great glory. It's about His will. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. All the grace has been given to us. And that we can even know the mystery of His will. We have been inside some of those great high things. Uh, these are lofty. <laughs> we climbed all the way up to the top of the mountain and, and looked and saw that we're in the body. <laughs> it's, uh, we're in the body of Christ. Oh, my, I, I, I don't know what to say. How can you not praise God, I guess? But here's the idea. And we're, we're time, to, time to shut off. But what's true of Him is true of us. Uh, if you look in Romans 5, we see that we were in Adam. The truth about that is that we're lost, we're in sin, and uh, we are without hope unless you're transferred over to being in Christ, right? And if you're in Christ, then you know you are attached to Him, and then you know that as you look at passages like, oh, let's say 1 Corinthians 3. Verse 21. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Did you catch that? All things are yours. Whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, what? All are yours. And you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. Okay. Whatever you say, Lord. Um, How about chapter 6, verse 2 and 3? Do you not know, don't you know this, that the saints will judge the world? Huh? (laughs) We're not really doing that now, are we? Uh, And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life than realize um, who who Christ is even even now? You know, you can... uh, you have some strength over things. If I have all these things, everything is mine, then why do I have to suffer? In Hebrews 12, it talks about chastisement. And he uses that for his sons. For if they're not his sons, he doesn't chastise those in that sense. A father has to bring on discipline for them. And you go to Psalm 119, the longest chapter in all of the Bible. And we're going to read all that chapter tonight. Um, Turn to verse 67. Before I was afflicted, you guys know this one? I went astray. But now, I keep your word. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Hmm. 
must be a reason. 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted that I may learn your statutes. Second Corinthians chapter 4.17. We'll close on this. I promise. Well, kind of. <laughs> Sixteen. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Mm-hmm. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Here we go. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us. There's that power word, working. A far more exceeding <laughs> an eternal weight of glory. Oh, by the way, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The point of this great prayer is that we'd understand how secure we are in Christ, how unwavering He is, how uh, immutable uh, is is the very hope that we have. eternal life and uh, the position that He's put us, uh, the eternal inheritance that we have. Power of glorification is waiting. And right now it's presently operative. It's working right now. He is working in us all the way for His glory now and His glory later. And we too will be in on His glory. And that's the end of that prayer. That is immense. I wished I could have really been able to teach it with much more strength. <laughs> well, so short of what all that means. That chapter 1 is very special. And I would have to say that this is right at the top of one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. <laughs> I have enjoyed this immensely. We're not done. We have chapter (laughs) 2. Thank you guys for coming out. It has been a joy. I can't think of a better place to be at, right, in that section there with God's people. Eldon, since I think that's probably one of your favorite chapters, if not your most uh, favorite chapter, could could you lead us in prayer? Let's just pray that two verses there. Let's do that. Pray that the God of my Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give me a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of my heart may be enlightened, so that I may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance to me, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward me who believes and that this is all in according with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Amen. Amen.